This is Exploring Leaders, episode 11, with Fenemik Hummer and Annemieke Egenkamp. They are both experienced innovation and change strategy leaders, as well as partners in their own consulting firm, Caracta. In this episode, they are sharing insights and inspiring you to take leadership in the digital age. Do you wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale, involve to innovate, and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders podcast. The experienced team at Degotion interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degotion CEO Katie Caruan, who is also an experienced HR leader, digital strategist, and executive coach, asks the questions. Our guests today are Fenemike Hummer and Annemieke Egenkamp, experienced board members and partners in Caracta, a Dutch-based consulting firm specializing in strategy, innovation, and creativity. They both believe that constant change is inevitable, and they strongly advocate the whole-brain approach, adding creative and human-centric perspectives to the more common analytical and rational ways of thinking and doing. This episode focuses on design thinking as a vital tool to lead successfully in the future. I am really excited to have the two partners of Character here today, Fenemy Krummer and uh, Annemieke Egenkamp. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. I would love our listeners to understand a little bit more about your backgrounds before we start diving into the area of your joint passion, which is, among other things, design thinking. So if I start with you, Fenemik, if you could just share which key past accomplishments have brought you to where you are today? Well, that's an interesting question, especially if you focus on the design thinking, because for, for me, that wasn't so logical. I grew up in, as the youngest daughter. I think that's actually significant. It's a, the rebel, maybe. But I grew up in a uh, very much a left-brain, engineer-dominated uh, family where my father was the CEO of the family business. So I didn't know exactly what to do after school. And I applied for a scholarship to study in the US based on my mathematics. And that's where I discovered at a liberal arts college that you could do other subjects as well. So there I had fun doing stuff like theater and art history, etc. And then I realized that there is more to the brain than only the left side. And I brought that back studying in, in Italy later, doing design thinking there. But, you know, those worlds have always been a bit split. So I did, on the one hand, I did creative studies. And on the other hand, I did business studies. And I think you need both sides, actually, to move forward. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And that's what I've been trying to do also working with clients because I grew up in the consultancy world as a strategy consultant, doing both of these things, using the creativity and the analytical side to do brand and business direction for companies like Heineken or Ikea or actually the banking sector. And that's what we do still, I think, mm -hmm. using more of Anamik's learning side now as well. And that's a really interesting combination, which might seem, as you said, a bit split to, to many other people, which is really a great and inspiring combination to me. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that. And if I understand it correctly, you are mainly focusing on strategy and innovation topics, whereas your colleague, Annemieke, has her focus on creativity and learning. So Annemieke, if, if I ask you, if you could share also some of your past accomplishments which have brought you to where you are today in that perspective. 
Yeah, well, I'm happy to. And and the funny thing is, of course, we focus on different things, but I'm also the youngest daughter. And we both think that is a very funny thing because we mean, that means we are rebels and we're always looking for a different way in accomplishing things. And on the other side, for me, it was important that my parents give me the possibility, although I was very good in math and I had a very left brain, you know, program at high school, they allowed me to go to an art school because my dream was really to become better in drawing and sewing and making stuff. And they let me. And it sounds a bit weird, but it was later on I understood how important it was that they had to trust that I could be good in that as well. And um, for me, that is a very important thing to realize that giving your kid the possibility to dive in and to learn where you're good at instead of the other side. And that's basically the last 30 years what I did. Being a good designer, but later on shift to education, becoming the director of Design Academy Eindhoven, and for the last five years, together with Fenomique, you know, combining these two worlds in learning other people, helping other people and companies in adding or helping them to use their creative potential. So for me, that's, it's the same in bridging two worlds, but maybe together, you know, Fenomique and I can bridge almost three worlds together. That is very fascinating and an intriguing combination, uh, absolutely. So both you, Fenomique, and Anonymique, you're both working and supporting leaders when they use design thinking principles as a strategy to uh, succeed in business. And I know that our listeners uh, have heard about design thinking and maybe some of them already are using design thinking principles. Why... What is the rationale? Why is it so important for executives, board members, and leaders to leverage design thinking now and in the future? Well, as you said, traditionally, they were very split. You would either go to business school and do your MBA, or you would go to a design school and become an artist. And the design part was actually often at the end of the process. And I think what has really changed is that we realize that in this world where changes are going faster and faster, we're getting into a more complex world. And let's say the traditional left brain approach of, of solving problems, doing it, you know, going through the step by step, first the analytic, then the problem solving, etc., is not working anymore, not for all types of problems. And those more difficult problems, you could say, the more complex ones that, you know, where there's many different connections, different areas, and you need to involve a variety of people. They're called wicked problems. They require a different approach. And that kind of approach is more agile, is more iterative, and you can use actually a lot of the tools and the way of thinking that designers use. And that's what we can call design thinking. And if you are totally new to design thinking and, and uh, you, Fenemique or Anemique, would be asked to explain it in a simple way to somebody who is starting to get into the details, how would you explain it? How would you put it uh, to a person who is not there yet? Well, I'll start answering it and then I'll uh, give the baton to uh, Anemique because there's two sides to it. On the one hand, it really, because I started with this problem solving, it's really an approach for a practical creative problem solving. And it's applying how thinkers, how designers think and act to areas outside traditional design domains. 
and what that means in terms of the mentality and, and the way of thinking. I'll give that to uh, Annemiek. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, to, to add on this, what designers are good at, they are very fascinated by the fact that there is a question, there is a problem. And that's the start for a process. Give you an example. If you would ask a designer, can you design a chair? Then he will not start with that question. He will ask a lot of other questions in understanding what kind of chair you want, what kind of chair you need. So it's really focusing on the needs and of the uh, urgency of why a person needs a new chair. The start of it is really important. With what question will you start a process of designing? After that, you really try to know as much as possible of that person. So we call that you focus on the human. You focus on the human needs. And then you dive into a process in understanding what it means gaining insights in what that person has in mind or what his requirements are. And then you start a process not in saying, I have the solution, but you come up with propositions of several solutions. And so you gaining choices or you create choices. And after that, you make choices. And that is the whole process of iteration. So it's not a straight line. Design is never a straight line. It is actually a kind of iterative process in making steps, gaining insights, making choices to come to a better final product. And we think that whole mentality behind that, you can also say the empathy, what you need for diving into stepping in someone else's shoes to understanding what really his needs is and what really the question is, makes that we really feel that the time is now to transport that to other fields than design. But it is the mentality and it is the way of working. You can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degotian blog, which you find at degotian.com. I'm curious to learn more about which type of advice you would give to boards or leadership teams who are struggling in this area? I think maybe one of the most important shifts is, and we found that out recently again when we were working with a big university here, is that traditionally we're used to starting with the problem analysis and, and going through it step by step. And I think here, as Annemiek also said, we want to start with the design challenge, which is about understanding the question, but then immediately about understanding where do we want to end up. And starting with the end in mind, really defining what does good look like, where do we want to end up together. It sounds so obvious, but we we realize now that a lot of uh, our clients don't always start there. They go through it more from the beginning to the end, step by step. But, and we say, no, you have to start with the end, if that makes uh, sense. And I think another important uh, aspect is that you don't only design the process, um, but you design the team. And again, I think people do that, but when they do that, they look more at the kind of disciplines that are needed in the team. And they don't always look at where are the strengths in terms of the mentality of people, mm-hmm. like you know, some people are really open-minded, curious, and they can really, um, they're very good at, at 
coming up with ideas in this phase where that's still needed, eh? because you always start with coming up with millions of ideas and then you need to bring down again. And other people are much better at that second step where it's about bringing down the ideas and really being critical. But if you're too critical and you can't stop that part of your brain, you shouldn't be part of that opening up phase. So to look at it that way, I think is important. Yeah, and to come back to your question, uh, Katie, this, this is really a paradigm shift where you could say, like Fenomik was explaining, that a classical way of approaching this is not working anymore. So you really have to combine thinking about your problem, doing things with it, and learning to do this better. And that is really a change, but also a cultural change for a lot of companies. So the advice for the boards or for leaders is also accept that you do not know what the answer will be. Accept from the start that it is complex for a reason. And that if you would know what the answer is, you don't have to, to deal or to trouble or to focus on design thinking. But so embracing that it is a struggle, accepting that you start a whole process, but not sure what the end will be, that is a huge step for people. That's really a mental step for for people to take. But funny enough, Fenemik and I sometimes start there in trying to understand or trying to help them in saying, accept that it is difficult. Because that opens up a, a, a mentality and that opens up space really in the head of leaders, but also creates space in their teams in relax, becoming more creative and really make an effort together and not on your own, but together in achieving what you're looking for. Yeah, that sounds really as a huge paradigm shift. And <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes. And, and I was curious to learn as a follow-up to that, are there, let's say, a few things that happens typically early on that you see that many companies are struggling with when they try to implement this method of, of, of working? Uh, what would that be? Could, could we derive something from your experience in terms of what is typically the, the key challenges? I think one of the key challenges is the dominance of Prince-type project management. Uh-huh. That you have to let, I mean, and that, I'm, I'm not against Prince. It works perfectly well for the so-called waterfall-type projects. So we, the tame versus the wicked problems again. But you cannot apply that type of project management on a wicked problem. Uh, so if you want to apply design management principles, you have to let go of, of your typical project management, what you've often, I think we all grew up with those kinds of project management. And I think that goes back to what Anamik was saying. It, it requires a cultural change. So a pitfall is, is that you do not focus on that cultural change, that you have to be aware of that in the beginning and really discuss that within the team. And if you bridge that to what it means for people, then what we see is we start off a lot in our projects with giving workshops in actually very basic skills, which you normally do not use in your daily life or your daily work life. And yeah, you can say, you know, usually you will start a process or a project in knowing and understanding and then 
doing what you think is right, but what you, with design thinking process, put in the middle is you make stuff. You really create stuff together. So it gives you more literally hand and feet on what you're talking about and what could be potential a solution for the, the, the questions you're dealing with. So coming back to what you need to learn, they are so-called meta skills. There is a fantastic book on that. And that really gives people the possibility to learn, to make, to dream, to observe better the situation where they're in, the environment where they work in, and to feel and to step in other men's feet, you know, the empathy, for instance, what I call it. So it's really on personal level that people need to change and that you can learn new things, what you probably will need. It's actually a reason why I am very happy that Anamik joined Karakta a few years ago because I got to know her as my client when she was still the director of the Design Academy in Eindhoven. And going through this process with companies as a, as a strategy consultant, an innovation consultant, I realized more and more that this is not so much just a strategic process. It's really an innovation culture is a learning culture. And it's the human part, which is very important. It's about people being open for this. So, and I think that's another pitfall. If you do a process like this, you need to realize it's not just a strategic process. It is actually a human learning process. So you need that angle as well. Yeah, I'm I'm totally seduced by what you're sharing right now. So I'm I'm just in my head going through, you know, in my my past, where has there been any elements or fractions of design thinking applied? And I can come up with some few examples, but I would see a huge potential in so many cases. And what I'm curious to understand a little bit more about is what is it that makes a company or a team decide to invest and, and, and uh, embrace design thinking? What do you think is the burning platform or the, the key decision point before they get started? Well, it's funny. One of my clients once uh, told me that they saw us as the last resort in a way. It's like, it's like you go to a normal <laughs> hospital when, when, when all else goes to get to university hospital. So, um, and, and it shouldn't be the reason, but I do feel that often it's sort of like, you know, we get stuck and it's because the same, you know, the same issues you can solve in, in the traditional way, but the wicked ones, you'll find out that you can't solve them in the traditional way. So often what happens is that our, our clients have tried to solve them in traditional ways a few times and then they come to us when it hasn't worked. Yeah, and it is, and I think it is, it is, if you will put it really simple, it's really, they understand already that something needs to change. They feel the urgency, you know, for whatever reason, but they have no idea how to do it. And like Fenemiga saying, the classical way is not working anymore, but the new way, I mean, you can accept that things are complicated or complex, but again, then you do not have the tools and you do not have the skills and maybe the knowledge on how to do it. So what I said before is the combination of knowing and doing and learning. It's almost, you know, a holistic way of approaching it. And to be honest, a lot of people have no idea where to start. 
so what we also try to do, we create a starting point, a clear starting point, so that everyone you know, can take a deep breath and, and start a process, but they have to give time and space and take the pace you know, to develop a process to you know, solve the problem, to be honest. Also, in the last few years, I must say something has shifted. Huh? Because, as I said, I studied design thinking at the Domus Academy in Milan in, I don't dare to say when, I think the 90s. The 90s, yeah. <laughs> and actually, nobody ever knew what this was about until a few years ago. And it's certainly with the Harvard Business Review writing about design thinking, Ideo, of course, has yeah. done a lot of work in this field. So now we sometimes also get people coming to us with a specific question on, you know, what can we do with design thinking and how could it work for us? Well, it sounds like there is a lot of potential in this area, but many people are curious and they want to, to adapt more of it and to start testing it out. And I guess it's all already a uh, challenge in terms of traditional controlling the output or controlling the process, which you need to let go of in, in this approach. The thing is, sometimes people think it is the holy grail. So, and we tend to focus on that it is, it is of course it's not, but design thinking is, it is, you know, it's several things. It is and a mentality and a process and it, it requires a way of working. So if you're really interested, you have to embrace that it is the whole thing together and it's not a quick fix. It's not, you know, it's, no, like I said, it's not the holy grail. And sometimes we need to start to explain what we think design thinking is and how we think it can work. And sometimes it cannot work. Yeah, let's be honest about that. To get even more value out of the podcast series, Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degotian Insight platform, which you can find at Degotian.com. I'm curious about both of you, Fenimik and Anamik, as well, because even though you are skilled and, and in this area and you are passionate about it and you are helping other people and, and organizations and leaders excel in this area, you're probably looking for inspiration yourselves um, in other spaces as well to uh, learn and unlearn in your own process. So I'm curious to learn, where do you find inspiration for yourselves to, to develop further? <laughs> I think it starts with you're curious. I think we're curious. That's where it all starts, actually, that we're inspired basically by everything, which sounds terrible, but it's true. I think something to stimulate that right side of your mind is about observation as well. So it's really also about going to art exhibits. Uh, the ITFA documentary festival just started again in Amsterdam. I think that's a huge uh, source of inspiration. So to really just looking at things, looking at people on the street, looking at art, but also reading a lot. I think we both uh, share enormous <laughs> amounts of books. <laughs> and going through, you know, like going back to INSEAD every year to the forum, I really enjoy that. So listening to people speak and we do that on interviews, of course, uh, for our clients as well, when we talk to specific experts. But there's inspiration everywhere. Yeah, and for me, it, it, I'm going to say a, a very female thing, but I'm allowed to, right? I always, I always feel very inspired by really well 
crafted design things. I have a passion for shoes, which is what a lot of women, of course, have. But it's not the fashionable, it's the craft side. And I'm totally fascinated sometimes by how well things are made. And sometimes I really think, why should we not pay more for it, you know, to really value the person behind it? But for me, that's really inspiration. And, and the books is another funny thing. Of course, it is about the content. But I always like bo- also like books because they are really well designed and really well made. You know, the, the smell of a book and the way you open a book and how it sounds. Um, that's also inspiration. There are the really simple things sometimes, you know, what really makes us wonder. It's and, the whole uh, experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and interesting enough, I think a lot of things are happening around the corner. And the observation we both mentioned before, that you can open the eyes of people in, you know, looking around the corner and looking at stuff which is near, instead of always, you know, looking really further. And that's inspiration, like we said, inspiration in everything. That sounds like a great recommendation to start looking from where you are uh, and then observing and taking that in. So um, that inspired me uh, right on the spot here. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's good. Are there any other leaders or, or specific companies by whom you are especially inspired? Well, I'm always inspired, but maybe that's going back to the rebel uh, part, but I'm always inspired by people who dare to take a stand and who dare to go against the common denominator if you like and that can be that can be anyone in a company actually at whatever level if you're that sort of rainmaker if you dare to stand for change i think i really admire that but some some examples currently i think for example paul pullman the ceo of unilever he's really trying to go against the whole short-term orientation, the shareholder value, and realizing that that's important, but trying to balance it also with looking at sustainability, looking at the human element in his company, and really trying to change and also being vulnerable about it and saying Mm. how difficult it is, actually. You know, or people from the past are like Anita Roddick, who founded The Body Shop in a time when sustainability was really well, on very few people's agendas. Or currently, I was just reading this morning about a convention in Geneva, where, you know, now they are really talking about the danger of slaughterbots. And that is really happening because Elon Musk of Tesca and Mustafa Suleiman, I think, of Google, they started with writing this open letter in August. And I think, actually, it's that kind of leadership where mm. you really put an issue on the agenda and and you're true to yourself. It's authentic that I really admire. And it is true. It's it's most, you're coming, it could be a big company, or but most of the time it is about people. It is about the people. And then you find out that one person can really make a change. For instance, what is an, what is an inspiration for me is Esther Wojcicki who wrote a book, Moonshots and Education. And then you discover this woman is already for 30 years really built or made a fundamental shift to give students more control in, in the classroom and, and really flipping the classroom in the way we are all talking about it now, but she started already doing so 30 years ago. 
other persons who I really like, and it's it's in this context of this talking about design thinking, maybe the first one in your mind, are the Kelly brothers. Because the books they wrote and what they did with IDEO and what they did with Stanford, I mean, they really built a whole movement, you can say, of people who showed us the importance of the creative confidence, as they say. And what I really admire, because they're American, they came up with a really interesting vocabulary, which became more common for everyone, especially also in, in, you know, within companies, in talking about stuff who they were not used to talk about before. So I think that still, they, they, and they keep learning and they keep trying and they keep coming up with new books and new insights. So that is, I think they deserve also, you know, our attention. Truly inspiring. And uh, I've made some notes there about which books to buy next. So <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your, your ideas and, and, uh, and your inspirational sources. For our listeners, uh, if they are interested in trends around design thinking and in general, where would you point them? What would you suggest they go, go look at uh, to, uh, to get a good start and uh, boost their own journey moving forward? Actually, we have a list that we also give to our clients with books uh, that sort of are the starter books, and we were happy to share it. I think that's, uh, and some already were mentioned, like uh, from the Kelly brothers, but uh, I think, well, there's many others that are really worth it, or the Metascale book, and I think we'll just make that list. So interesting enough, that is a trend, that will become a trend, that your balance, your work-life balance and having a different attitude in, you know, how educated you are, how successful you are, that you can still learn. And and so my advice, so our advice to leaders will stay, if you want to stay in tune, you have to, you have to make sure that you find a way to keep learning and don't stop learning in what position you are. And the other thing is, like Venomique was saying, I think that both the digital you know, developments and your digital skills is very important to keep updated. But on the other side, also the social skills. It is also weird to say, but I think there will be a huge, you know, we already mentioned the focus on humanizing organizations, but I think literally to understand what you need for kind of social skills is maybe one of the main things what a lot of people should focus on. I think that could help and make the world a better place. And that sounds like a great differentiator from, for, for humans compared to uh, artificial intelligence, at least for the time being. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your uh, input and inspiration uh, on that for our listeners. And uh, I have two more questions, actually, for you before we, uh, before we finalize this interview. And I'm curious to learn if you could just share a glimpse, a very short glimpse of where do you go next? What is still undone for you, both of you uh, professionally? Would you start, Fenemik? <laughs> well, actually, we were just talking about that this morning because uh, both of us have half-written books uh, laying around. <laughs> My book is is on these wicked issues and and how to address corporate complexity with design thinking, with creative intelligence, and I really need to finish it. 
So that's on my, and now that I've said it out loud, it, because <laughs> it really needs to be done. <laughs> I'll do it. But I also, we're working on a course on, you know, on, on more an open course. We do this sometimes for clients on, on applying design thinking for strategy. And I think that's something else that's on our bucket list. But we always have many, many plans and ambitions. So I'm sure we'll, we'll have many more. Yeah. And I probably I will write part two of this series of books ambitious as we are and that of course will be on learning but the thing I'm really looking forward and probably that will happen somewhere the next 10 years is I would love to build a new hybrid learning environment and vague as it is because it's not a school it's not a company it's everything we know it's not but it's kind of in between space environment where people can make do think learn dream and people of different ages and people from different backgrounds. I'm already working on that for years, but you know, this is this little dream think thing in your mind that if you, if you have time or create time, that will happen. So that will happen once. But first, we will focus on two books. <laughs> All right. So it seems like we will have to come back and interview you in the future as well to learn more about those things, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're happy to share. Yeah. Okay. So I have one final question for both of you, which is kind of out of this structure in case, you know, you're relating this to design thinking, but maybe there is, who knows, maybe there is a connection in a way. We, We typically ask the people whom we interview, if you were a furniture, which furniture would you be? And since you are two joining us today, we would love to know what type of furniture would both of you be? If you could decide. Well, the funny thing, the first thing that comes to mind, so I'll say that one, is actually, I don't have it, but I see it in front of me. It's this little, it's a chair that's a ladder as well that you can, uh, because oh, yeah. it's so multi-functional, uh, you know, because I have this book, big bookcase here and I always need a ladder to get higher to get the books of the highest shelves. But also, it's something you can sit on, and it's also <laughs> something where you can invite additional guests if you don't have enough chairs. So I think that's, it came to my mind for a reason, so it must be that, the multifunctionality. <laughs> yeah, for me, it will be a lamp, because you can turn it on and you can turn it off sometimes. <laughs> but no, a lamp, because I, I'm, I'm fascinated by light, and of course, the lack on light in this time of year. But I admire lamps, but, but literally also because you can turn them on and off. And they, the color of light, I think, is totally interesting. So I would be willing to become a lamp. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it seems like a good combination between the two of you as well. Thank you so much, both Fenemik and Annemieke, for sharing with us why you are so passionate about uh, design thinking, what our listeners should consider when entering into this space and and gradually then test it out and explore it and and hopefully then embrace it also over time. And also thank you for sharing your uh, own inspirational sources. Uh, We hope to have you back on our podcast in the future. And until then, have fun. Thank you. You too. Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by DigOcean, with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration. 
For any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you'd like to listen to, contact us via our website, Degotion.com, or via social media as LinkedIn or Twitter.